You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Heartland Politics show and podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois in eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and today I'm very pleased to welcome to our show the governor of the great state of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. Governor Pritzker, welcome to Heartland Politics. Thanks so much for having me, Robin. Well, um, my first question just involves looking back uh, at your at your term as governor. What um, two, three accomplishments are ever you most proud of as you take uh, to the voters as a reason for uh, getting reelected uh, here in November? Well, as you know, we've, we've accomplished quite a lot over the last four years, so I'll, I'll try to limit my answer to just a couple. But, uh, you know, I'm running for reelection because I think we need to continue to build a state government that puts people first and make sure to address the kitchen table issues that working families find most important. You know, the last Republican governor left our state in terrible shape without a budget for two years with a multi-billion dollar bill backlog, eight credit downgrades. And that meant that I had to get to work pretty quick. Um, I balanced four budgets in a row, paid off all of our overdue bills, earned six credit upgrades. And uh, and that allowed me to provide $1.8 billion in gas, grocery, property, and income tax relief to help families overcome inflation. And, you know, 6 million working class and middle class families and individuals are receiving on average hundreds of dollars each in direct support from state government. That hasn't happened for an awfully long time. I also raised the minimum wage to a livable wage and protected a woman's right to choose and implemented universal background checks for gun purchases and lowered the cost of of going to college in Illinois um, and fought for uh, safe neighborhoods by increasing the number of state police, doubling the investment that we've made in violence prevention programs, uh, expanding mental health programs and substance use treatment. And I did all that while we fought a deadly global pandemic, uh, saving lives and livelihoods. Now, you know that my opponent voted against most or all of that and and actually fought the mitigations to keep people safe in Illinois from the pandemic. And he opposes abortion. He wants to jail doctors for it. Uh, You know, he thinks a 13-year-old rape victim ought to be uh, forced to give birth. And he voted against funding for crime labs and for state police. Uh, and uh, those are things that I think are vital if we're going to overcome the challenge of uh, the increased crime that came during the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, he even has said that he wants to throw Chicagoans out of Illinois. Uh, so, look, I'm proud of the progress that we've made. And, and again, you know, we've made a lot of, of changes and important accomplishments, uh, move this state forward for the first time in an awfully long time. And there's even more to do. You know, Governor, I know that as we're recording this, you're in the Quad City region. Uh, Welcome, and uh, welcome back. Um, As you know, uh, our region's got a a great manufacturing heritage. Uh, John Deere's still there. Um, A lot of our our region, though, has lost a lot of manufacturing jobs over the years, and you've seen the devastation that that's caused, um, not just in economic terms, but in social terms. 
in our region like Maytag left Galesburg uh, down closer to where I live. Um, a lot of folks feel like we need to move on from manufacturing and focus on a service tech economy. Um, what's your thoughts on that as far as the future? Do, is manufacturing still play a critical role in Illinois' economy, do you feel? And what, what more can, can you do as governor to uh, help uh, nurture uh, that sector? Manufacturing is vitally important for the future of Illinois. In fact, we've increased the number of manufacturing jobs during my term in office. Uh, and I'm proud of the fact that we instituted uh, two new manufacturing training institutes in downstate Illinois. We've attracted uh, new companies and grown existing ones to uh, you know, create jobs in manufacturing. Just for a couple of examples, uh, Lion Electric came to Joliet, Illinois. Uh, we had uh, the uh, expansion of Rivian, the the car manufacturer, the electric vehicle manufacturer uh, in Bloomington Normal, which has added thousands of jobs uh, just in the last couple of years. Boeing expanded its manufacturing operations down in uh, the Metro East area. Uh, and this has really happened all over the state. We've done a lot to incentivize bringing companies here, uh, the Reimagining Electric Vehicles Act, for example. Um, and I think that manufacturing has a real future. We we are a manufacturing state. Uh, we need to make sure and train our workers for it. Uh, and that includes uh, vocational training in high schools, which I've increased funding for. It was cut under the Republican governor who preceded me. And, uh, and of course, our community colleges where people can get certificates and, and learn a trade, not to mention the trade unions and their apprenticeship programs. So we've expanded all of that during my term in office, in part because more manufacturers are coming to Illinois and expanding jobs available here. Look, there's always more to do, and the economy is always changing. So just because one manufacturer uh, is growing, it doesn't mean another one isn't struggling to change their product set, let's say, uh, to meet the demand in the market. But we've got to keep our workers trained so that they can get the best jobs that are available and we can fill all the manufacturing jobs that we have in our economy. Just one last thing on this. We have so many jobs available in Illinois uh, right now in every industry, but in manufacturing especially. And we expect that we're going to be adding hundreds of thousands of jobs over the next few years so we've got to make sure we're bringing young people and people who want to change jobs and go into something maybe more lucrative than they're getting now uh, into the industry. And that doesn't mean they have to go to a four-year university. It means they just need to get the training, the skills necessary to fill those positions. My listeners on this show have heard me uh, talk about uh, this next topic for a number of years, they may be tired of it, but I, I like to bring it up because I'm very interested in, in the whole idea of apprenticeships. I'm glad you mentioned it. And, you know, I, and I know you're aware too, Governor, uh, I've read about the German model for years, and you're familiar with it for our listeners again. It's where you kind of break off in, high, in school, uh, middle school, and decide whether to go on a four-year college track or an apprenticeship track. And I just wonder, you know, we really haven't done much of that in the United States, but do uh, you think that that might be the way to go, or do you think we should work within our existing system um, and have the apprenticeships dealt with as is being done now through companies and unions? 
Well, apprenticeships can also be something that people can get in high school while they're also getting their high school degrees. I do not think we should start tracking people in middle school and saying, these kids get to go to college, but these kids are going to go into a trade school. Um, I, I just think, you know, that that's not our history. I think everybody has an opportunity just because you might not be a great student, let's say, in uh, seventh grade doesn't mean you can't end up being a scholar uh, by the time you're a junior or senior in high school. Uh, everybody deserves that opportunity. But the way to do it is to make sure we're injecting vocational training into our high schools. Because whether you end up going to a university or you end up going into a trade school or going directly into a job because you've gotten the vocational training you needed in high school, uh, the vocational training you get in high school is useful for the rest of your life. And I think it's something that everybody ought to get exposed to. Now, many years ago, Illinois schools started getting out of the business of training kids, vocational training in high schools, partly because I think people went too far to say that, you know, we're not going to uh, give kids the opportunity to go anywhere except college, right? Everybody thought everybody should go to college. Not everybody's going to go to college. And we've seen that people choose not to. Let's not saddle them with debt. Uh, you know, make them go to college if that's not something that they want to do or that's not something they're able to do because of some family circumstance. So we've got to make sure that we're providing the kind of skills training that people uh, want in case they decide not to go to college or university uh, after high school. I wanted to ask you, Governor, uh, about the state's business climate. We hear a, a lot of people uh, criticize the climate. We lost the downstate, of course, the Caterpillar headquarters moved. Uh, I believe Boeing uh, might be or planning to. Uh, um, and especially in areas, as you know, like uh, the Quad Cities that are neighbor other states, it can be a sensitive issue uh, for whatever reasons, you know, uh, companies choose to leave. I know we've also had some successes. You pointed out Rivian, I think, is a great success. But uh, how do you feel generally about our, our business climate here? And um, uh, are, are there some ideas you, you, you have to maybe help uh, make Illinois more attractive? I mean, we've, we've got the best location of any place in the country, really, logistically. We have made Illinois more attractive during my term in office. We provided incentives for the data center industry, brought $13 billion of investment into Illinois and thousands and thousands of jobs in that industry, relatively new industry, let's say, for Illinois, um, because we you know, made sure that our tax code made us competitive with other states. And as you said, we're in an ideal position for something like that geographically. Another example, of course, is reimagining electric vehicles. The Lion Electric's uh, headquarters for the United States now is in Joliet. And, um, you know, Boeing, they may have moved 240 jobs out of Chicago, but they added 350 jobs down in Metro East. Um, and, and those are great jobs. Uh, yeah, we've got Google add, adding jobs in, in Chicago. Uh, and then, you know, we got TCCI, which is a compressor manufacturer, uh, which took advantage of the reimagining electric vehicles incentive to uh, bring their electric vehicle manufacturing here and grow it. So you got to look at the net effect uh, over time of jobs created and headquarters coming to Illinois. Kellogg's moved their uh, breakfast food division to Chicago. 
so we've got a lot of you know moves. I, I was in business before I was governor. I, I had ten thousand employees. Uh, we had a number of divisions. Uh, you know, I understand the decision making that goes on in the boardroom uh, and at companies about where they might want to put their next factory or why they might want to move one thing to another state. Uh, but again, if we're adding jobs and adding companies, that's the goal. Let me add one other thing, which is most of the jobs that get created in our economy, Robin, are created by small businesses. Uh, small businesses that get started and then grow. And so and that was a business I was in before I was uh, governor that is uh, helping small businesses grow. And during my time in office, number one, we cut taxes for 400,000 small, 400, small businesses in Illinois. Number two, we reversed the damage that Bruce Rauner did to our small business development centers by reopening them. Uh, and number three, during my time in office, uh, we created more small businesses in Illinois than ever before under any other governor. And, uh, you know, my focus on small businesses is all about setting us up for a great future. All the companies you just mentioned, uh, you know, and I just mentioned that are big companies now were small companies. They were startups at one time or another. And you want a thousand, you know, companies to bloom in Illinois so that we get some of them who become medium and large size businesses. Because again, all the job growth that occurs in our economy occurs because those small businesses grow. So I'm proud of the work that we've done. Our economy is now above a trillion dollars, our GDP. It just passed, surpassed a trillion dollars in Illinois, our GDP did. That makes us the fifth state ever to surpass a trillion dollars, bigger than we were before the pandemic. And uh, and we got to keep working on it. I'm on the phone every day talking to companies, trying to get them either to move to Illinois or grow their footprint here. Um, and again, there's always more work to do, but I'm, I'm working at it all the time. You're listening to Heartland Politics on WVIK Public Radio in the Quad Cities. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and my guest today is the Honorable Governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. Uh, I spoke with uh, Governor Pritzker, it doesn't seem that long ago, but when he first ran in the Democratic primary four years ago. Uh, and here he is uh, running for re-election. Next month's election, we've talked a little bit about about uh, some of his major accomplishments, uh, the role of manufacturing in the state's economy and the state's business climate, and apprenticeships. Uh, I want to switch gears. I remember very well our first conversation. You, you were very passionate about education. And um, gosh, since then, we went through a pandemic, and we've been, we've been through a lot of challenges. And the public schools really uh, sometimes get tarred a lot with with uh, a lot of criticism. Some I think is fair, but a lot seems unfair. But in my mind, anyway, um, I think they're vital for our, our our country in a lot of different ways, not just economically. Um, we just had some math and reading scores come out that were very disappointing nationwide. Um, what? Uh, how do you see this? I mean, as far as do we need to? Uh, really invest more in our public schools, or, or do we need to do things differently? How do we get uh, do a better job of preparing students for the global marketplace? Well, I'm glad you raised this because the future of our economy, the future of our state is dependent on how we do on investing in our kids and their education. Uh, you know, I've been an advocate for early childhood education 
for you know a couple of decades before I became governor, and as governor, have championed investments in this area. Uh, we've increased the amount of uh, of preschool and childcare that's available, quality childcare, uh, and made major investments in our public education system. A couple of things to keep in mind: there's an additional um, offshoot effect of investing state money into public schools. And that is that we lower the pressure on local property taxes. We can lower local property taxes, in fact, if the state would do its job. When I became governor, the state was only providing about 24% of all the education funding in Illinois, and almost all the rest of it was coming from local property taxes. Just to give you a comparison, Illinois at 24% providing from the state level, but the average state in the United States, about 46% coming from the state. So, you know, that means that, that local governments, local schools have to make up for the rest. So we got to get back in the business. Now, since I took over, uh, we've gone from 24% of education funding coming from the state to almost 30%. So we're making real progress. Again, that lowers the pressure on local property taxes and also invests more in our local public schools. Uh, our, our schools uh, were named by uh, U.S. News and World Report this year as number one among the most populous states in the country for pre-K to 12 education. That's big progress. I don't think anybody's ever thought of Illinois in that way, but it's true. Now, the, the numbers you just cited a, a few minutes ago uh, about what happened during the pandemic, I mean, Look, we had to shut down schools from from uh, late March to the end of uh, or to the end of the school year in 2020. And that's what we did because nobody knew how bad this was going to be. Nobody knew if kids were going to drop dead from COVID uh, and what we needed to do to mitigate the damage um, that COVID would do coming into the you know, 2020, 2021 school year. And then this last school year, uh, you know, we made sure that the that schools had all the resources they needed to make decisions for themselves, whether they were going to have a hybrid education or entirely in person. Uh, you know, we made sure that they did whatever was necessary. And then we provided billions of dollars with the help of the federal government for any learning loss that needed to be made up for. And most importantly, the state provided the P20 council, we call it preschool to, to you know, the 20th year. Um, uh, the, our council provided a blueprint for how to make up for learning loss, depending on what the situation was in a school, whether it required tutoring or summer school, whatever might be necessary, and the money. So again, the money coming from the federal government and a plan from state government to help local schools do the right thing for their kids. You'll notice in the numbers that got published recently, Illinois actually outpaced most states in terms of just maintaining as against the learning loss that the rest of the country uh, experienced. That's not good enough. We need to advance uh, more. But I will say that, that you know, doing better than most of the rest uh, is a pretty good place for us to start. Now, we've got to continue to invest in education. Uh, my opponent, uh, Darren Bailey, wants to cut education funding. He doesn't seem to understand that that will lead to worse education and, importantly, uh, rising uh, property taxes. You know, he raised property taxes when he served for a couple of decades on the local school board in uh, in uh, Clay County uh, by 81 percent. 
And now he wants to raise property taxes again by getting rid of state funding for education. I just think that's wrong. One last thing on education, because it's important to think about the whole conveyor belt from, you know, child care through preschool, through all the way through K-12 and then into college. So I think about all of that. When I came into office, one of the things people talked a lot about was, you know, the exodus from Illinois. Uh, and, you know, when you looked at who was leaving Illinois, the largest cohort of people leaving students, young people, 18 years old, seniors who, you know, would choose a college and they choose a college that they could afford. They couldn't afford to go to college in Illinois. Uh, and so if we made it more affordable, we could keep our best assets, our smartest kids in Illinois. And that's what we've done. Increased MAP grants. Those are our college scholarships in Illinois. Uh, we've increased them by $200 million. That's 50% increase. It's done two things. Number one, we got 26,000 more students getting scholarships and staying in the state of Illinois. Uh, and number two, it's having the effect of bolstering our universities and colleges enrollment. We had the highest freshman enrollment in our uh, state universities in Illinois in six years. And at like Illinois State University, it's the highest in 35 years. So I'm really proud of the work that we're doing to provide a better education. Yeah, we've got to overcome the learning loss that people experienced during COVID, but it was a national emergency. And that's just what was required was, you know, doing the best we could to educate kids. Now we're going full bore to make sure they get the kind of advancement that they need and that they can stay in Illinois when they decide to go to college. Governor, I want to bring up uh, the crime issue uh, based on the TV ads we're all watching. It seems like it's the number one issue, at least seen in political campaign ads. But uh, uh, the, the the Safety Act was was passed and enacted. It hasn't been put in the uh, place yet. Uh, but uh, I know that's been a big issue. It's been raised in the debates you've had with your opponent. What uh, what I guess my question is: What do you see as as the aspects of the bill that you think need changed? I think that's been brought up as far as a lot of people, or the, even some of the, the that were involved in sponsoring it, say, "Yeah, we need to go back and tweak some of it." Are there areas you see that need uh, addressed uh, maybe sooner rather than later yet, or do you think overall the bill's pretty good as is? Well, I, I want to just step back a second and remind you that uh, you know that our goal is to improve public safety. Uh, Safety Act is just one piece of it, but uh, broadly, uh, fighting crime, increasing public safety, you know, we saw crime increase all across the country during COVID. And uh, it's been a challenge uh, really in every big city. Uh, now, you know, my goal since I took office, since before COVID, has been to restore funding and restore the services that are necessary in order to keep crime down. So I'll give you an example. Under my predecessor, Governor Rauner, uh, funding for state police and the number of state police dropped dramatically. So when I came into office, I put uh, money into the budget to make sure we could have more and bigger cadet classes to bring more people into state police. We've added hundreds of new state police, even before you know the, the uh, increase in crime took place. Uh, and we also invested in in the infrastructure bill, uh, crime labs. These are state-of-the-art crime labs. And we were able to 
eliminate the rape kit backlog, the DNA backlog in our uh, state crime labs as a result of the investments. We hired more forensic scientists, investigators, et cetera. And so, you know, if you want to reduce crime, you've got to solve crimes and uh, making sure you have more police and crime labs and the tools and technology available to police to to quickly solve crimes. I, I would add, by the way, that every single one of the things I just mentioned, Darren Bailey voted against. Now, here we come to, you know, criminal justice reform and the Safety Act. Uh, there's a ton of disinformation that Darren Bailey and that Republicans have been spreading about the uh, Safety Act. They're willfully misreading the law and ignoring the facts. Um, there's nothing that requires criminals to be released from jail on January 1st. That's just fake news, full stop. And I want to be clear that they are following a political agenda that I'm afraid will have them actually letting people out of jail, violent criminals out of jail, just to sort of make a point. And the reality is the law does not say they should do that. The law gives judges more power to keep them in jail. The violent criminals, murderers, rapists, domestic abusers. That It's one of the reasons why victims advocate groups and victims themselves have been in favor of the Safety Act, because those violent criminals, domestic abusers, can be kept in jail if they're deemed to be dangerous for the community or dangerous to any individual or a flight risk. Um, and then, you know, the, the other side of that is the, you know, the person who commits the the low level offense, nonviolent, uh, but is put in jail with a bail amount that they just can't afford. What ends up happening? They lose their job. So now they really can't afford it. They can't take care of their families because they lost their job. Uh, and they're all they're doing is awaiting trial for a low level offense. They may have stolen a couple thousand dollars worth of merchandise from a store. But, um, you know, now their whole life is ruined. And listen, they should be held accountable for their crime, but uh, not to the point where, you know, we've ruined their family, we've ruined their prospects for the future. They may have made a mistake and they should pay for it, uh, you know, in the justice system, but not while a murderer gets to buy their way out of jail. So let's make that fair. Let's keep the violent criminals in jail, let's you know let the nonviolent uh, criminals at least evaluate whether they're uh, a danger to the community. Uh, that's what the the uh, Safety Act does. Um, are there changes that we ought to make to the Safety Act? Of course. I mean, every piece of legislation, certainly a major piece of legislation uh, that you pass, always people find there are things that oh, you know what we need to change a word here or there. Uh, there are things that we need to tweak. I'll give you an example. Let's make it explicit if states' attorneys don't seem to understand or, or, or for political reasons don't want to understand that they should be keeping people in jail on January 1st. Let's pass an amendment that says specifically they can't let violent criminals out on January 1st as a result of anything in the Safety Act. So um, I, there's a lot to do here uh, to make sure that we're addressing not just the Safety Act, but consistently addressing the problems that we're facing related to crime. Again, one last thing. The underlying issues are the ones we really need to go after. That's fighting poverty. That means, uh, you know, more violence intervention programs, uh, jo youth job programs, mental and substance abuse uh, treatment, mental tr uh, health treatment, substance abuse treatment. Those are things that, it, you know, we are making significant investments in, and they will lessen the burden on police and also keep people who just need treatment 
out of our jails and our prisons. Well, Governor, we've run out of time. Uh, I really want to appreciate, uh, extend my appreciation to you for taking some of your time to uh, be on our show today and share some of your thoughts on your record, but also your reasons for running uh, for another four-year term. Um, thank you again for taking the time, and uh, we'll, um, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how the election turns out and talk to you again down the road. I look forward to doing it soon. Heartland Politics is a production of WVIK, Quad Cities NPR. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can hear more on the Heartland Politics podcast, available at wvik.org, in the WVIK app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.